Our modern Western culture places little to no value on the power of our nightly dreams to inspire, shift, and reorganize our lives. This podcast demands a deep reconsideration of the role our dreams play on our path to a more vital and meaningful life. The following is living proof of the life-affirming power of dreams to affect change and redirect the trajectory of our inner and outer lives. These are the dreams that shape us. The way our dreams meaningfully come to us to bring us into symbolic, mythic life is so specific to each of us. And then... Once we are there, the way they relate to us and what they call out of us is also deeply unique to us alone. It's a truly beautiful way we can catch a glimpse at the truth that we all are truly unique and we each were created for a specific reason that we each have something special within us, that we are here to add to the mosaic of human life and potentially human evolvement. Within your psyche lies the blueprint of who life yearned for you to become. Today, Jason sits down with my friend, Jennifer Claroscura, And we see this in several different ways throughout Jenny's story and her life. The dream showed their potency early in her life by terrorizing her poor mother, whom was a staunch skeptic with vivid prophetic dreams that kept coming to pass. And this deeply shaped Jenny as a young girl. And we also witness a young girl's dream of who she would be when she grows up actually be what the dreams, sleep paralysis, and astral travel experiences that she has had have been working to call out of her. It's it's fascinating. I'm so tickled by it. I haven't come across many people who experience the astral out-of-body realm, what I refer to as the spooky brother of dreaming, because it's spooky to me, who feel as grounded about it as Jenny does. She's clearly been through the initiations and you'll hear it in the way that she speaks to the material. She had posted a dream about a school on Instagram one time and I joked, there's always a school, am I right? And boy, (laughs) hearing her story, has she been to school in this other realm of life, as you'll soon see. We have yet to cover anything related to the astral realm, so if you've been waiting for it, here you go. Get ready for a wild, out-of-this-universe journey. And now, my partner in the dream, Mr. James DeBoard, and our guest, Jennifer Claroscura. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Dreams That Shape Us podcast. As you know, this is a podcast for showing how dreams shape our lives and proving that dreams are deeply meaningful 
and can guide us and bring great benefit for us. We want to explore today the side of dreaming that most people, well, they experience it, but they don't realize what they're experiencing. And that is the metaphysical side of dreaming. We know from study after study that there's a lot of interesting brain activity that goes on as we're sleeping and dreaming. We can track dream activity related to the stages of sleep and look at exactly what's going on in the brain. And it leads us to think that all dreaming activity can be explained through the activity uh, that's going on in the brain while we're sleeping. But there's also a metaphysical side to it that a lot of people experience. And I'll say that a lot of us don't have what we need to understand what we are experiencing. With us today is someone who has experienced that starting at a young age. And as she's grown into adulthood, she has consciously explored the metaphysical sides of dreaming, the lucid dreaming, astral experiences, out-of-body experiences, precognitive dreaming. So Jenny Clarascura, thank you for joining us today and sharing with us your the wisdom and knowledge that you've gained from your experience of dreaming. And it started at a very young age. This wasn't something that came on later in life after you'd formed beliefs about dreaming and what's possible or what's not. You started experiencing things that there are many people out there would say are impossible. And yet there's also many people who say, well, wait a minute, I've experienced this, so it's not impossible. So people who have experienced very unusual things in their dreams, please raise your hands because you are who we're speaking to today, because we want to be able to bring Jenny's experience to you so that you can, one, have it validated, and two, you can learn that this rabbit hole goes pretty darn deep and that you can cultivate this side of your life, this metaphysical side of dreaming that, like I said, it happens whether you're aware of it or not. It's just that it usually happens during a very deeply unconscious part of the sleep night they're very disconnected from the conscious side of themselves. But Jenny, you learned how to fall asleep and keep your mind awake as your body fell asleep. Um, and that is something that has helped you to go very deep into the process of dreaming. And shall we say, you're like our witness to the world of dreaming that most people are either barely aware or unaware that it even exists, this metaphysical side of it. So thank you for joining us. Um, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. My name is Jennifer Claroscura. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Um, I've heard your podcast and I really enjoyed all the episodes. Well, I tried to tune in as much as possible. Um, and yeah, in, in a way, I do feel um, that astral projection and dreaming, everything was blurred when I was little. So um, if I introduce myself, um, I, I always have a problem with Am I a dreamer? Am I this? Am I that? So I guess I'm. I can just introduce myself as um, as a explorer in consciousness and um, explorer in the metaphysics as well. And uh, yeah, my um, I guess my whole persona is encompassed by the name I use for my dream um, uh, outlets, which is ancient dreamer. So ancient dreamer, um, and in a way, this reminds me of um, uh, what um, 
what Robert Moss has written about in his book called The The Secret History of Dreaming, fascinating book. And he talks about how the mystery schools of the Mediterranean and Egypt and, you know, ancient dreamers, you know, ancient history that they used to teach. Uh, They had initiates and they used to teach them the, the ways of deeper dreaming that they could actually go into places in their dreams that could be shared by other dreamers, places that are outside of normal time and space. So when I saw, you know, when I saw your name, Ancient Dreamers, um, it made me think of that, that we're talking about the old ways here. Um, And these used to be more commonly known. And there wasn't belief that was like, well, do these things do we believe that this exists or do we believe that it's something that someone's just experiencing almost like a hallucinatory experience? No, they accepted it as fact, but they also recognized that it took a special person to be able to go into those spaces uh, to dream that deeply and that lucidly. And that this wasn't something that the common or average person could would do. I shouldn't say could. That, that wasn't something they would commonly experience, but that anybody really could be trained to, they could be trained so that they could learn how to do some of these deeper metaphysical sides of dreaming. It's just that they had some initiates who seemed to be born to it, and they were identified at a young age, often before any sorts of beliefs about what was possible or not could form, and then they would be brought in for special training by, just, let's just call them the dream masters, and that brings us into your biography because you had a mother who went through some extraordinary experiences with her dreams and you were only four or five years old at the time. So before you had a chance to develop beliefs about what was possible or not, you had, who was probably the closest person in your life, you had a mom who was experiencing precognitive dreams of future events that played out right after she dreamed about them. So will you tell us about that and about what you were like at that age? Um, yeah. Uh, first of all, she was the one that didn't believe in anything of this, of these things. She didn't believe in these things. Uh, my dad was the one that did. But um, so it was funny that it would go through her. Um, I was um, a very uh, open and imaginative little girl. I was uh, not social, not popular or anything like that. But I was very, um, I, I, I had an uh, immense universe inside. Um, and I knew I was different from my sister. It was just something there, some awareness. So when my mom started to wake up looking pale and um, telling us nightmares of accidents, and then the TV would say the same thing with the details because she would dream of uh, streets and um, everything, like what happened. Um, and it would happen so often that it left a subconscious imprint in me that uh, there was something to dreams and it was, it was not what people would call normal. But in, back then I didn't know what was normal. So I guess my subconscious was also being uh, recoded to accepting that things like this can happen and do happen. So can you give us an example, like, um, would it be, you say accidents, can you give us maybe one or two dreams that she had that were then followed up by the experience of turning on the news and seeing that this accident had actually happened? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because all the accidents that she dreamt of kind of feel like a convoluted mess in my head because I was so little. It was 
you know, such a young age. But the one that really, really stuck to my mind was when she said that a car um, had smashed um, someone's head, I guess, on the sidewalk. And she named the street. And when we, this was the one that we went to, to try to stop. And when we got there, everything was already cleared up. They had already taken the man away, but the car was there. Um, we had just missed that accident, and they told us what happened. So she's so, waking yeah. up from these dreams. She's had, I mean, nightmares. She's having these... Yeah, they were like nightmares. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was white as a sheet. <laughs> I mean, seeing seeing someone, something in a dream, the graphic details of someone getting, you know, the and that man, mangled, yeah. squashed in a dream. Yeah. Um, and then finding out that it actually happened. Um, you said that this carried on for a couple of months and it reached the point where your family was actually trying yeah. to... Um, so at first, she's giving details about these dreams. She's telling the family about them. And then you're finding out soon after that these events that she dreamed about actually happened. And mm. then you go through this period of finding out that she's actually dreaming accurately about these future events. Then you're starting to see that there's a pattern where she, this is happening night after night with her. And it reaches a point where the family decides that they want to try to prevent some of these accidents from happening because she had such specific details. She yeah. she could see the people, she knew where it was in the place mm -hmm. where you lived. Do you mind sharing where you lived at the time? I was in Israel, which I also feel like was a place where everything started for me. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it, it was, um, in Israel, everything started for me. Were you born? Actual dreams. Were you born there? No, I, I was born in Peru, but uh, my father um, had got a job in Israel and he was trying to, you know, come out of poverty. So he took this job in the UN. Everybody said, don't go because of the war, but he went first. And when he realized it was such a beautiful country, he brought us all there and our, our whole like economic life changed after that. But um, also these experiences began. I don't know if it's because it was the Holy Land, <laughs> but um, there was some energy there that started and pushed me, so. And your mom, apparently, because she hadn't experienced this previously to right. when it started. I mean, you said that she was kind of a skeptic or at least not a believer oh, that yeah. you could have these what we'll call precognitive dreams. Um, but the difference is, is that these sound like prophetic dreams. Prophetic dreams are written in stone and there's nothing you can do to change the outcome. Precognitive dreams are like previews of the future, but they're still, it's still in a probability state. It's saying, mm. When you dream about it as a precognitive dream, it's saying that the pro that it's probable that this event is going to happen in the future. But we've had people on our podcast, such as Ian Wilson, who said that like he had a dream that um, he got in a car accident and he recognized that um, it was because he was slipping on the snow. He bought these super heavy duty studded snow tires. And as the dream in the future, the dream is playing out in real life and waking life. 
And he he said that because he changed the tires on his car, that it slowed him down just enough to avoid the accident that the dream showed him was a probability. So he actually changed the future by recognizing that the dream was precognitive and that um, there was something that he could do to respond to it. But it sounds to me like despite your efforts, that there was nothing that you could do to um, stop the accidents from happening. Yeah, and it makes me like wonder um, why it stopped for her afterwards. Um, I almost have a feeling like it was, um, well, in retrospect, I feel like it was for me. Um, and because I, like I told you, my my journey started in astral, not dreams. Um, and I feel like when dreams finally kicked in later on in my teens, um, I feel like I went back to that thought of that was programmed in me that there was something to dreams that was a little bit more than just, you know, psychological or, you know, all that stuff. Well, it's interesting that this often the metaphysical side of dreaming often runs in families. We don't know if there's a genetic or biological component to it or if it's because you find out that these things are possible because you have family members who experience it. And you're young and impressionable. So the before your beliefs have really formed and hardened, you're already being introduced to say, well, this stuff definitely is possible because my mom experienced it or my dad experienced it or my grandparents or something like that. So there could be a genetic side of it. There could be an environmental side of it. But either way, what we've shown is, is that this does tend to run in families. So there you are at about five years old, your mom, you've seen your mom experience this, and then you started having astral or say out-of-body experiences. So will you tell us about that, um, about those experiences? Well, it was um, everything up until then was always, I felt like forced on me. So I didn't want that life of these things. I honestly didn't. Um, it was until my late teens that I came to accept it. But um, this was always like me giving tantrums after why me and all that. Now I'm like, are you stupid, Jenny? Like, this was awesome. But um, yeah, when I was uh, four or five years old, I was, it was my initiation. I was in my room. I woke up first, as always. And I was just uh, looking over at my sister to see if she had woken up. And then in the middle of the room, I noticed there was like a, something the size of a black ping pong ball in the middle of the air. And I kind of did a little, I don't know, unconscious reality check. Like, wait a second, like I'm awake. Like this isn't, this isn't a dream and this isn't a sleep paralysis. Like it wasn't that I could feel like I was just looking at it. And then I was like, hmm. And then it started to spin and spin and spin until it grew into a, what looked like what I can now think it's a portal. But back then, I didn't know what it was. It was just this black uh, circle or something. Like it was like you were looking through a tear in time and space. And who came out of there was a being that was backlit. There was so much light all of a sudden that the being looked black because you know he was backlit or she or whomever it was and uh came approached me and um carried me out like a baby i could i looked down and i could see two right arms because one of them was leaving the body 
and um, that being took me around the world and I saw many things and then um, I felt telepathically that he was saying you're coming with me and I thought at that moment that was death like that would mean I can't return so at that thought of my parents my family uh, he it's like he returned me I felt like whoosh, like I was just pushed back and I woke up and I couldn't talk for two hours so I was trying to explain to my parents and I was just like it's like my vocal cords just stopped and it still makes me shake when I think of it um and then finally when I could talk I was like oh you know I was really like just speed talking and my dad was like slow down and my mom was like it's just a dream it's just a bad dream and I was like mm, it was not a dream because I was pretty conscious back then when I was little even then so uh, I guess that maybe happened before the dreams I'm not quite sure because my timeline is a little strange it all happened within the same year or two um, but I remember that that's why I am who I am today it's just like the, that kick started my who was that what was that and why was that and yeah this is me today <laughs> so literally it shaped you because you had this extraordinary experience and it made you curious about what it was that you experienced and you mm -hmm. set off on a lifetime journey to to figure it out yeah. yeah and to sort of reproduce it in a way um i've heard this from other people who said that these experiences were their initiation it made them aware that such things were possible um and then they would sort of chase the tail of the tiger um into their dream lives because mm -hmm. they they wanted to know exactly what happened to him we had um as uh, season one of we're in season three and episode Ooh. one of season three was with professor scott sparrow who said that he started these meditation practices um guided by the edgar casey foundation and their teachings uh, about meditation and that he had a dream of receiving the divine light he was 18 years old um, to that point in his life, he wasn't real curious about these things. You know, it wasn't really prominent or anything in his life. But he said once he had that first experience, he, it just lit a fire in him. And he put in the time, you know, the waking, yeah. waking up in the middle of the night to meditate, pursuing sort of um, areas and, and um, uh, fields of thought and knowledge that led him deeper and deeper into this so that he could find out what it was that he experienced. I've heard this from a lot of other people too, um, on our podcast and also just people who know that the metaphysical side of life is real and that they feel like they were chosen or maybe that's, yeah, we'll stick with that word, that they were chosen <laughs> to experience the greater reality that is this cosmos that we live in, that this greater experience of consciousness and Jenny, did I hear you correctly when you feel like also that something kind of, I mean, this figure comes out of a portal in your room. You're having an out-of-body experience. It picks you up. It takes you around the world. And then you come back, you know, because you started getting afraid that you weren't going to be able to return to your body. Um, and so in a way, it was like something chose you for this initiation into the metaphysical side of life and dreaming. Would you say that's accurate? 
Yeah, and it, it's um, it's a piece of a puzzle that is very important. It's almost like if you think of your life as a movie, um, the the finale went to look for me um, in order for me to be able to breadcrumb through to the end. But, um, you know, at my age, that's just becoming clear to me, whereas before it was not clear to me because the sequence of my dreams have been a certain sequence since then. Um, but I, I was born with uh, past life um, memories that seemed like real memories to me. And my mom had to course correct me in her way, which was wrong. But she kept telling me, no, you don't have another mother. No, you don't have another father. No, you didn't die electrocuted. No, you know. And I kept having, I'm like, no, what? You don't have long hair. I, I remember I hurt your finger. And remember, mom, when this happened? And she would be like, that wasn't me. But then she decided to say, yeah, that was me. And that's when it started to get confusing for me. Like, wait a second. It was her and her hair was long. And, you know, it was a different time, different clothes. So, yeah, she said I was pretty creepy as a kid. <laughs> well, uh, as a uh, moderator of the Past Lives subreddit at, um, at reddit.com, uh, we get a lot of stories from parents um, who have had these stories related to them by their children, where they'll look at them and be like, you're not my mommy. My mommy has long hair and, and she always gave me ice cream before bed. And, you know, like, and there you are as a parent going, well, sorry, kid, I hate to disappoint you, but, you know, um, so um, while we've cracked open this egg, I would like to explore it a little further. You've had these, um, from a young age, you started recovering past life memories and it started in your dreams or, um, no. some other just spontaneous. I just knew, I just knew like, um, it was, uh, like a memory. I, I don't even know. It was just a reality. Like I, I knew that I had another mom. I knew how I had died. I knew I died as a baby. Um, yeah, and then you know what? The dreams that followed were later on cleared up for me. Um, but as a little kid, it was not. It was just confusing. Can we go ahead and shift to those dreams that you had that cleared it up for you and gave you more information about your past lives? Yeah, so um, at some point after I started my astral journeys, I realized that um, the reason why I was able to well no I didn't realize this I thought in my child mind that the electricity helped me astral project that I had got, died electrocuted and I felt like that's why I was immediately born again and I could astral project but later on I don't know if that's true or not that was a child me trying to make sense of why I get out of my body and it feels electrical because it did feel electrical it does in the beginning so you there's a buzz there's a vibration you know it felt familiar and where does the electrocution come in you had a memory of being electrocuted in a past life yeah when i was a baby okay i remember crawling and then like some like strong like vibration and i felt like i was touching something and then um that was the last memory i had Ooh. okay um do you and my parents were dressed like the late 60s seven early 70s and i was born in 75 Okay. That was, that's, thank you for filling that in. That's what I was going to ask. Wow. Um, so a physically we've shown through, um, the studies of reincarnation, um, they've come out of the university of Virginia department of perceptual studies, uh, from 
uh, professors Ian Stevenson and then followed up by Jim Tucker. They were heads of the department. And they have over, at least the last time I looked, they had over 2,000 cases of reincarnation that have been studied. And they've put it through all the academic rigor um, and sifting through the data. And one of the things they found is, is that people will um, reincarnate fairly quickly. Um, they said the average time that they've recorded is a year and a half. Um, and that um, oftentimes we come back with something in our bodies that shows the last way that we died. Um, there have been um, cases where people have um, had scars and birthmarks and stuff like that. Um, right. Sometimes they look almost identical uh, to the way that they did before. Um, Jeff Keen, K-E-A-N-E, I read his book and I know him personally. Um, he is uh, the reincarnation of a Civil War general. He found this out because he visited the Civil War battleground where he experienced the wounds that should have killed him. He lived through it, but it took him months to recuperate. And he said that when he walked over top of the ground where he was shot um, through the face, that he um, he experienced this um, the memory spontaneously coming back to him. And he said it was like an like getting hit with a high voltage charge, just completely knocked him off of his feet. So I say that as a way of relating that maybe there was something to the way that you died in that past life that had truly done something to, you know, make you um, energetically different. <laughs> you know, maybe that pattern was imprinted into your soul in a way that carried over to your next incarnation. Because if you believe that the body is, people tend to think that matter comes first and that consciousness is an epiphenomenon of of matter. So in other words, we're these human beings with a body, we have a brain, we have all this bioelectrical activity going on, this produces consciousness, but there's a whole other way of looking at it, and is that the consciousness comes first, and the body forms around it. And if consciousness is this eternal aspect of the universe and of ourselves, then that means that the next body that your consciousness produces might have some remnants or leftovers of the last way that it died. And if it was because you were electrocuted, then you could see possibly that you, the Jennifer that we know now, um, experienced that and it carried over to you in a way that has made you, given you this ability. And also the uh, the near death. Well, I, I, I don't know if, you know, that, that out-of-body experience, the first one I had, felt like a near death. Um, and I feel like accessing that at such a young age, I came back with even more because that's when everything just like started like a uh, big time for me. Will you talk more um, about those near death? You've had near death experiences. Well, that one, um, the rest were, I guess, regular out of body, but um, it was never intentional. Once again, it was uh, I it woken up in the middle of the night, um, a hurricane in my chest. And I felt like my whole being was just being dragged into that portal. And then I was spat out. Um, it was very painful physically. And there was very loud. And um, I fought it. I, w I was like, imagine somebody holding on in a storm. That was me holding on in my body. But it would, it would still yank me out. And, and that was my every almost everyday experience um, with me, of course, the next day wondering why me crying about it. I don't want this. And then none of my friends do this, you know, 
show and tell. People are like, oh, well, look, this is a rock from, you know, from the pyramids. Look, this is a moon thing. And I'm like, hey, I had an, <laughs> came out of my body. And it was uh, not accepted. And that's when I realized something is also different. Um, that's not regularly in the consciousness of people. Well, let's go back to the, you had this experience first of there being a portal that opened up and a guide came and took you into that portal. So it was, you said it was like being wrapped up in the guide's arms. Um, it was a kind of a pleasant experience, at least until it's like you a started. baby. He was carrying me like this. Yeah. Yeah. So you feel very comfortable and, and safe. And then when you stopped feeling safe was when you sort of zapped back into your body. Um, but this continued to happen. This portal. Yeah, so it, it didn't just stop, right? It was like um, a chain, uh, something just started. Mm -hmm. So for how long would you say that that continued where you were waking up? You say it's almost nightly where you're waking up uh, in the sense that you're still dreaming, but you wake, you were, you're coming out of some kind of sleep state and you're finding that you're being sucked out of your body like you're going into a black hole and you're resisting it. And the more that you resist it, the more force it's exerting and it starts to actually physically get painful. You described mm. vibrations, electrical sensations. Um, was there anything else about that experience that you might be able to relate to other people that they can... I'm thinking of the person who's experienced oh. this out there, and they're going to go, oh my God, that's happened to me too. So if there's anything else you can relate from your experience that might help them, go ahead. Well, at first, I went straight into the hurricane in my chest, but at first it's like a... a big tennis ball in my body that's that's circling it like something is about to pop out of my skin and then that ball turns into the hurricane so <laughs> it's like I need a moment when I think about these things it was intense and it's it was unpleasant so I was very happy when I started astral projecting peacefully later on after my late teens was that when you stopped resisting the pole not only did I stop resisting it, I started stalking it. Ah, cultivating so, this aspect of your life. Um, yes. Okay. I guess that's the lucid way, right? Turn around, face your fears, face that thing. And I, I did that literally. Um, so that's when I started to try to catch myself. I wanted to catch that sucker, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that that ball, that, that hurricane, I wanted to catch it. Um, and yeah, that turned into the side effect was uh, dreaming, lucid dreaming and dreaming. Well, let's get into that more. Um, so what I would like listeners to know who've experienced something where they feel like this is an involuntary um, thing that's happening to them um, is that it seems to be what Jenny's saying and what I've heard from other people is, is that once you surrender to this process or even embrace it, that's when the, um, the pain of it goes away and the uh the sort of fantastic wonders that you can experience really start to kick in so you're a teenager now and you started having these not only out-of-body experiences but also lucidity and dreams can you tell us more about that um yeah uh, once again i didn't know what a lucid dream was but um i knew that it was i was waking up in my dreams uh, because i would try to catch myself falling asleep and then even you know that's one of the techniques also for lucid dreaming so if i wasn't astral projecting i was lucid dreaming 
Um, and the lucid dreams uh, were an interesting place, but I took it a little too far. I was I was that that lucid dreamer that was like, I'm I'm a creator, you know. I would like demolish buildings and build new sceneries and uh, fly around, do whatever I wanted and, and yank people from the ground, you know, take them on a trip. Um, freeze, freezing everything was my favorite thing because I, w- I didn't want to bother with the dream that was there. I would freeze everything and change everything. And then um, one day that changed. Uh, I was so tired from, from manipulating my lucid dream. And uh, I decided to look out into the ocean. For some reason, that ocean wasn't going away. Like, I could remove everything but that ocean. So I was looking out into the ocean. It was nice and glittery. And uh, suddenly I saw these, like, two, like, bubbles coming out of the ocean. And I thought, this could turn into a lucid dream nightmare right now. Or should I just allow it? And I decided to just allow it. And uh, what came out were two gigantic dolphins and they were both at my sides and the dolphins tails went up and as the tails went up and their mouths opened um next to me so i had two mouths to my right one to my right one to my left um the vibration that they were giving me was uh so much love that i've never felt before it was like divine love that it it, i it brought me to the ground and to my knees and I remember just putting my forehead to the to the sand and feeling grateful and um, ever since then I do not manipulate my dreams that was the turning point of being like uh, the typical lucid dreamers that you see when they start out you know control the dream <laughs> it's a playground to... yeah it's a playground right so that was my portal to the dream is intelligent that it it it's it's not it's alive there's something that's interacting with you it's not just a land a plaything it's an intelligence it's 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 so much more i absolutely love this and this is the kind of way of speaking to lucid dreaming surrender that i look for when i gauge where a lucid dreamer is at on their journey with it as ryan heard and i discussed a couple episodes ago There are inborn moments of tests and conflicts within the lucid space where we have opportunities to be initiated into deeper relationship with the lucid space. These tests are unique and specific to each of us for where we are at. It's so easy with the rhetoric out there surrounding lucid dreaming to come to it, as she said, to think you are some kind of grand creator and this is your realm to play God. But this poorly sets us up to operate within the lucid dream as if this is some kind of free-for-all shit show of the most egotistic proportions. And don't get me wrong, I do believe we have to get that out of our system to some extent. We are so constrained in this physical reality, it's only right to explore what is possible in that realm. And it's fun to do so. We shouldn't feel any shame around enjoying and and being playful in that space. But there comes a time when this kind of surface-level relational experience doesn't cut it anymore. And you find a deeper experience of lucid dreaming 
when you actually see that it is a living intelligence and that the space itself is aching and yearning for you to be in truer relationship with it instead of helplessly trying to impose your will upon it. And you can't fake this initiation. You can hear me say this and you can hear her say that the space is alive but you still won't show up in that space in this capacity until it truly brings you to your knees and you are truly able to see it in the special way that it is calling to you. You don't want to rush that. You don't want to force that. You wouldn't want to intellectualize your way into believing what I'm saying. You really need it to crack you wide open to the truth. So the big question you can ask yourself is, how am I relating to the lucid space? How do I behave when I'm there? And when I wake up, how do I feel about how I behaved while I was there. And if I truly yearn for a very deep relational experience in the lucid space, the next time that I'm there, can I soften? Can I be more curious? Can I invite the deep soul behind the dream forward? in that way that I have always deeply and truly yearned for. Well, season, um, this season, we had an episode two, following up on Scott Sparrow, we had Ryan Hurd, who's known for um, working with sleep paralysis in the same way that you've, you probably, if you've explored the people who teach this stuff and share their knowledge of it, Ryan is a name that a lot of people have run across. So he teaches lucidity workshops and stuff like that. And this is one of the things he says is that at first lucidity is all well and good. It's fun. People tend to do things like, you know, change the environment, you know, develop their dream powers, um, they feel like, you know, a wizard, you know, in their dreams and they, they feel powerful. And then there comes a point when they realize that there's something deeper going on. As you say, they like there's an intelligence that's behind the dreams that's now starting to engage with you in a more direct sort of way. And this is when the graduate work begins. This is when the real learning um, can take place. And it sounds like to me that that's what leads into later as you get older and you started getting into some of these more mystical experiences of dreaming where you were in these places where you were being taught things some of the deeper wisdom some of the mystical sides of life it sounds like perhaps that this surrender in that dream that lucidity when those dolphins you realized that something was speaking to you it sounds to me like perhaps that was the turning point for you that allowed the deeper, still even deeper dimensions of dreaming to open up to you. Was that, am I characterizing that correctly? It was the first time I felt divine energy. 
So if you could, if you would, if you, if it was biblical, you know, that moment when I was a kid, you know, you watch those Jesus movies where the person finally realizes like who Jesus is kind of thing, you know, and their eyes open. It was like that. It was like a religious experience. Um, and I realized that, you know, you can call it a godly experience, a divine experience, but it was, it was that, and it was, a a deep humbling respect towards the dream like a person would have to their guru or their deity or it was it was something like that happened to me and and with those dolphins and what they were transmitting so tell us the ocean was something that you couldn't change even though Mm -hmm. you'd had the powers in dreams to make buildings rise and fall to freeze landscapes to make time stop to you know you could tell characters get out of here you know and um but the ocean was something that you encountered that seemed to exist um of its own accord you know Mm -hmm. because if you say like oh i can create a building out of nothing you know and now the skyscraper rises up into the sky and you could say well that's you know that is a creation of your imagination very deeply while you're lucid dreaming you have these creative powers it's like you're painting your mind onto a canvas but what if instead of having a blank canvas that there's already an image there and you can't alter it you can't erase it you can't add to it it's there of its own accord do you have any sense of what that ocean is well everything went blank everything was white except the ocean was there i um i think that that I had, uh, it was an intervention. <laughs> I was obnoxiously good at controlling the dream. I feel like something in the dream was like, she's good at this, but she's using it the wrong way. Um, because I was very powerful in as a lucid dreamer. Um, I think some people didn't have, like, run into a lot of... Um, uh, blocks in a lucid dream and I ne- I didn't experience that for me it was like you know it's in my hands and I can do whatever I want um, and I guess I had that sense of I am powerful to that extent that something was like mm, well I am powerful too and it was the dream itself <laughs> I think the dream was like you think you're powerful well you know, you don't know where you are right now, lady. And it was, you know. Yeah, literally, you're a drop in the ocean. <laughs> you know, like, if you if you think that's something, there's a whole ocean out here for you to discover. And it's it's not going to, um, it, it's not just going to dance to your tune because it existed before you did. And this is where we exactly. can get into some of this because um, – I'm going to, we're going to be jumping ahead a little bit here because I know the dreams that you shared with us as we were prepping for this interview, you've had a lot of guidance from these sort of mystical figures that have come into your dreams. We've already covered, you know, the, the, the guide that came to you in the first dream. Um, You've had these dolphins that came to you. And then there's others where you've had these guides that came to you and they look like they're coming straight out of the collective unconscious um, because the, the ocean, for one, is a very common symbol in Jungian psychology, um, depth psychology, uh, if you want to be more general, is the is that it represents the vastness of unconsciousness in the sense of it is this other side of the mind 
it's the, the consciousness rises out of. In the same sense that we have this idea of evolution, that creatures started coming out of the ocean and, you know, living on land. And so the ocean kind of produced them hundreds of millions of years ago. This was the beginning of life on, 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 in the land, you know, dry land. It all came out of the ocean. So the ocean is the mother of life on this planet. Um, and so there's also this idea that the ocean is the mother of our consciousness because it comes out of the unconscious. In dreams, the ocean is often a symbol for the unconscious. And you started having a lot of experiences, it sounds like, of this immersion into uh, the deeper aspects of of the unconscious. It started engaging with you and making you curious. And you said, what did you say, Jenny? I'll I'll put on my skin suit here and dive right in. It sounds like um, you reached, <laughs> is it true that you reached a point? I mean, you, you, instead of most people just turn around and run when they have an experience of vastness like this, but you decided that you wanted to find out what was down, deep down inside, you know, deep down in these dark waters, you dove right in and so will you take uh, us, you tell us, you characterize it for us. What was it like for you? Well, um, you know, when they tell you that what you wanted to be when you were little is a big clue as to what your mission on earth is. Uh -huh. So when, when I was young, like seven or so, a uh, teacher asked us to, to make a diagram of what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I, uh, I was drawing a vehicle and um, my, my, the title was um, the first woman that's going to uh, build a vehicle that's going to leave the universe, uh, be a, go outside of the universe. And um, so I think that unconsciously, that was my little mind's way of expressing that my father and mother couldn't answer and who made god and who made this you know all those questions children ask my children are asking too by the way uh -huh. and now i'm like shit should i answer that anyway so um so that was my it wasn't a lawyer everybody wanted to be a lawyer a fireman this i'm like what the hell was in my mind um but nonetheless, I think that 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 has just the tone of my whole life, and that has led me towards ancient dreamers. Um, it's it's my mission in many ways, but I didn't realize it until recently. That seven year old or nine year old Jenny, whenever she made that diagram, it's still the same mission. Just a, I'm the vehicle. It wasn't that I needed to build a vehicle. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I am the vehicle. <laughs> yes. This idea of the psychonaut who builds the vehicle to journey into the cosmos. The cosmos. Into the unknown. The, into the unknown. And the cosmos being the um, the larger universe that includes all of its dimensions and perhaps other what we call universes. Um, the word cosmos is um, by definition kind of encompasses the larger idea of it, of not just a physical universe that behaves according to you know, the Newtonian laws of physics and Einstein's relativity, basically the measurable universe that acts predictably, um, mm -hmm. that there's actually a, a universe of consciousness out there that is infinite. 
and multidimensional, and that you, as this conscious being, are the vehicle for interfacing with it, for exploring it, for going deeper into it. Um, yeah, it was about leaving existence almost. It was very strange. The feeling of it that I get now that I think back on it was, I, I was curious to know what was outside of life. You know, outside of the past space, past universes, like just outside, something about outside of it. You know, it was a very huge drive inside of me. Well, this um, brings to mind the movie Interstellar. When near the end of the movie, when the main character, Matthew McConaughey, is like trying to find his way back to the um, slice of existence where his family is. I believe it was his daughter. He was looking for her and he promised her that he would come back. And he's looking into all these bubbles and each bubble shows like a version of her. But he needs to find the one where she still remembers her daddy her daddy, the astronaut, who is now going off he, in to try to find a new place for humanity to live. And uh, so a really fascinating concept that as I was reviewing one of the dreams that you shared with us, it made me think of this and your discussion now is making me think of it. So maybe we can go ahead and go into the one about, you titled it Bubbles into Another Dimension of Being. It sounds to me, Jenny, by the way you described this dream, is that you actually found that vehicle for traveling out into the cosmos. Well, before that dream, I mean, way after that dream, um, not long ago, I had, a, you know, one of those dreams that, that, that shake you up because of the truth that it, that it brings to you. And um, it's a very short dream, but I'll, I'll just say it. Um, I was at a desk and there was this big envelope flops right in, right, right in my eye view. And it said, um, to Jen of the universe. And it, it had some symbols. And I remember, you know, I think I cried for a week straight. I had a dream circle a week later and I was still crying. Like it was, it was almost like an acknowledgement from that thing that I've been searching, just circling back to me and saying, well, I'm also searching for you, you know, and it was, it was that, it was very strong and it was very deep and I, I couldn't talk about it for, without crying. <laughs> it was a long ago. And, uh, you know, anyway, that, that's just a little segue from that topic, but yeah, the bubbles into, what was it? The bubbles? <laughs> oh, here it is. Uh, the bubbles into another dimension of being. Yeah, these are dreams that I never know how to even begin writing them. But, um, you know, there was a cliff and yet that cliff was like the edge of the universe. And yet that cliff was existence and life as we know it. And um, bubbles would form around people and they would uh, start uh, floating up and then the bubbles would eventually transform into giant eyes, blinking eyes that would then be going off into, you know, I don't know where, and then it would repeat itself. So it was like a cycle. And um, each time that it repeated, I would try to be more conscious and aware. So I'm like, okay, this time I won't lose consciousness at the eyes thing, I, meaning I lost my sense of who I am. 
I was the I instead of Jenny. So I would be like, all right, this time I'm going to keep my awareness as I go through that bubble and transition. Um, and it was so like incredibly moving. Um, but that's me. You know what? I am almost like the person that's always like, let me do this again. Like, yeah, I'm scared of the first ride, (laughs) but let me do this again. And let me not forget who I am while I do this again. (laughs) And I want to know every detail. I, I love transitions from astral to lucid dream, from lucid dream to something else. Like transitions is my thing. I want to know that moment. So I think that's why I'm really good at knowing where I am and what I'm at. I'd like uh, predicting the wet, the weather, energetic weather within my experiences because I've, I've followed those little, you know, it, it takes hyper awareness to see a transition the way that I've learned to see it. Yeah, it does. And I would like to return to that in just a moment. So I'm making a little note to self about the, you've de- you developed a very critical skill, which was to be able to keep your mind awake as you fell asleep. Um, and you've experienced the formation of dreaming from its inception. Um, and so uh, we'd like to talk a little bit more about that because this is one of those skills that people can develop. You were doing it naturally from a young age, but let's get back to that. I keep thinking of your bubbles as the ski lift to eternity because there you are on the cliff edge <laughs> and it's taking people off the edge, meaning out, you know, if the edge, the cliff edge is the, it's the edge of material existence as we know it as human beings. And now it's going off into what seems to be the state of just pure awareness and that you leave behind physical existence as your vehicle for going out into the cosmos. And now you're just an eye of awareness or perception that's now leaving material reality and all of its constructs behind and going off to experience to find out that there's this whole other place out there the ski lift to eternity um you say here that um that in the middle of the journey i'm reading what you said the bubble somehow transforms or transmutes into a more compact live plasma with big eyes on the outside of each quote-unquote wall or perspective. Anyone that remembers Interstellar will start to get an image that comes to mind of seeing all the bubbles, and each bubble was a different reality, a little slice of reality. And you could go from this outside perspective into one of those bubbles, and now, ta-da, there you are in a body again. So you're going from being just awareness to being into a physical existence as a body, And then you say um, that no matter how many times you get into that situation, you're never prepared for the following part. You say it feels like fear and excitement mixed with the panic of losing myself as a human being. So again, the ski lift into eternity, you're leaving behind all of the things that anchor you into this existence in the physical world, you know, as a human being. As a, as a conscious awareness, it's in a body and you're just leaving all that behind. And what you say, and I love this, it's like an acid trip of cosmic proportions, the ultimate exi- existential moment. So Jenny, you said that you wanted to find out what was beyond the edge of the universe. As a nine-year-old girl, you <laughs> dreamed up this idea, you know, 
what do you dream about, Jenny, when you want to grow up? You know, and all the other kids, I mean, I said I wanted to be a baseball player. And other kids are like, you know, <laughs> I want to be a doctor. I want to be a firefighter. You know, um, you know, I want to be a soldier. And you said you want to be a psychonaut, right? <laughs> I mean, we have astronauts, which was an aspiration a lot of kids dreamed of. If you were like me, you know, and you're growing up in the 70s, 80s, this was still very much the thing that kids wanted to do. Um, and um, But you, you wanted to be a psychonaut. And it sounds like you pursued that to the point where you, you really did go off that edge, didn't you? Uh, something, something about my, um, uh, unwavering, um, fixation on this mission just keeps taking me to that level of, um, what's next, what's next, what's next, um, working on, and if I have a block, it's not going to stop me because what's more important is what's next. So, um, if I'm really scared, um, I'll take a few months to process something, but I still, I can't stop. Like it's, uh, I don't know. It's just who I am. Well, I'd like for you to describe what it's like to be the I. You put it in your description. You put that in capital letters because you really wanted to <laughs> emphasize that you're at some point you completely left behind Jenny, the physical being, or even Jenny who understands herself as a conscious being you became Jenny, the I, floating through the cosmos. Will you describe what that was like? In this bubble, w- the bubble, you describe it as a vehicle and it's mm. this bubble. And inside the bubble is mm. the I and the I is you, right? Not, not only was I the I, I could see the other eyes. Um, so it was pretty beautiful watching them blink and float. You know, it was like, um, it was the only... The only thing that I could feel, it was like we were together, all these eyes. And it, it, it was just a fascination of, of stars and space, us going through some sort of like liquid. If, if space could be liquid, that was what it We were swimming. We were like swimming in space. And it was like it had a substance. It wasn't just like air. Um, it had some kind of energetic substance to it. You know, the space is described in physics as being, has properties of a superfluid. So we're like fish in a tank in a way when we're, you know, (laughs) planets hurling through what we see. We have this word empty space that's very misleading because space is not empty at all. Um, There is, I've heard there's enough energy in a spoonful of quote unquote empty space to power the entire planet for decades at our current energy needs. There's that much energy. It, 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 we're in an energetic universe and it behaves like a superfluid. And what that means is that there's it's it's a fluid, but there's no resistance. So normally when you're mm. swimming, like if I go out to my pool, I jump into my pool, I have to exert force against the water because I'm in a fluid, but it has resistance against me. So I move through the water and I have to exert force in order to move through it. The space itself is a superfluid, um, meaning that it behaves like a fluid and that things can be suspended within it, but they don't have any, um, it's like it doesn't have any viscosity. In other words, there's no resistance to it to push against. So you can be like this bubble that can just kind of float through space. Um, you're in a fluid, but it's a fluid that doesn't provide any resistance. And um, so 
the the astral is sort of a fluid too. Um, my beginning experiences, I treated it like water. <laughs> so I would, <laughs> I would, I was like completely not. You know, I didn't know what it was, but I would swim. I felt like it was like an energetic fluid as well. It just reminded me. I've heard people describe sometimes in the astral that they'll actually make swimming motions to be able to move. Um, yeah, and, it, and it's before they can, they realize that they can move simply through intention just by thinking, I want to be over there. And boom, they're over there. They have to do something. Some people like stick their arms out like Superman, you know, and it's like because we have these conceptions based on our physical experience that flying requires something whether it's extending your arms out like Superman, flapping your arms like a bird, um, building up momentum to be able to leave the ground. I mean, that's not ground underneath your feet. That's not air that you're going up into, you know, but you still have these conceptions that you bring with you into the dream world and into the astral world that are based off of what you've learned as a human being, having a physical existence. Um, I would like to just, you you say here, and I, you say something that's really fascinating here. Um, you say that the bubble vehicle shifts into a different dimension. It's like a dimension shift in journey, not linear at all, not regular space-time. The body is lost in a way. I become perception only, and we are all just eye vehicles traveling forward. We are inside and we are outside. So I've heard this from people like Bob Monroe, uh, who has gone very far with his journeys out of body. I mean, that was the title of his first book. Famous for his astral travels, famous for his, um, in certain circles, he was able to do a lot of exploration of states of dreaming because he realized that lucid dreaming and the out-of-body experience are just basically phase shifts that they're very closely related to each other. Um, and he said that there comes a point when the human being learns what it needs to learn so that it can leave the earthly or physical dimension forever and go off into the cosmos to experience an entirely different way of existing. And he says that it's more like a point of awareness. And it's, it's your dream seems to almost like read, it's almost like your dream read Bob's book and then got a little <laughs> dose of Christopher Nolan, you know, the the director of Interstellar, you know, maybe threw in some Inception. And it came up with this very, you know, it's not just a vision, but an ex a vision that you experienced because you were there and you're seeing these bubbles floating off into melding with the cosmos, like, like becoming one with it, but being a distinct point of awareness but also being part of this larger awareness was that what it was like for you because that's the picture that i'm getting yeah it was very challenging for me at the time um because i was afraid at the time of this feeling um it still makes my heart pump but now it's different um before it would it would make my heart pump and i would get fear um yeah, I think a lot of things have changed. But one of the reasons why I never wanted to have children initially was because I didn't want to leave anything behind and no attachments. However, you know, I had children. 
But um, it was just, I was just very, very, I was a little more stubborn about leaving, never coming back. You know, something about this planet was just always like, I should not be here. I need to leave here. And yet it all turned into, wow, this is a beautiful planet with, you know, it, it just, the journey that dreams took me through was a, under, a different understanding and my, my whole view point of view about life and death and the afterlife and all of that changed it's pretty fascinating um that you've also had this guidance like this awareness behind the dream has been leading you further and further and as you make the wish and say i want to know more it obliges by creating these experiences for you where you get deeper and deeper into this stuff um to the the esoteric the mystical uh, the deeper wisdom and knowledge, or as we started off this interview with, the old ways. The the wisdom that used to be common knowledge is now sort of lost to us and um, obscured. Well, you, but you know, that's where people stop because they think it's lost. And also people think, I don't know. But guess what? Whenever I didn't know something, I would be like, I will know. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, and I would stalk that thing. I was like, you know what? I would even open a notebook and write the beginning of what I didn't know. And then I'm, I'd be like, I'm going to know, I'm going to be writing pages and pages of this. And even though it seems impossible right now that I would know. Um, and eventually I would know because dreams, astral and my own my own downloads, psychic downloads, or whatever you want to call them, um, would come. So whenever I don't know something, I don't assume that I just don't know. I'm like, okay, I just don't remember, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you were re you're relearning things that you've known maybe in another lifetime or in another experience of life. Edgar Casey says that we live lives between lives and other forms of existence on other planets. He even says that there are planets in the solar system where we have existences, but it's in a different dimension. So people would be like, you can't live on Jupiter, man. Like, don't you know the wind blows like 500 miles an hour there and there's the gas you can't breathe and all that. And, you know, it's like, well, you're actually having a different existence than in the body. And it's so hard for people to conceptualize that they're, it, it, it's, their answer is either it's impossible or you get this sort of like, does not compute, does not compute. And their brain just fries, you know, because they can't begin to even think of what existence could be like without a body, without being tied to physical existence. And it seems like that lucid dreaming and dreaming in general is introducing us to this possibility because everyone experiences an out-of-body experience every night that they dream because their body, their consciousness starts to exist in a mental state that doesn't rely on their body to produce. In other words, you're asleep. And then you start having this experience in your mind of a reality that's not physical reality, but it's completely believable. And you don't have to have your body with you to experience it. Most of the time, people dream within a perspective of being like a little human and they're in a body and they're running around the dreamscape. But what happens also, like when you're a third person observer, you're not in a body, but you're still having an experience of observing something that's happening. I had that experience in a dream last night. So it's almost like it's introducing us that, that there is another, that there are other forms of existences that don't rely on us having a body, but you still are a point of awareness. 
And you can go out into the cosmos and have these other experiences that don't rely on the physical expression, that don't rely on being a, you know, biological being in a body that in order to be able to have an, ex- an experience of life. So, uh, and, and uh, astral projection, sorry to interrupt. No, Some, sometimes you're, you're not a person when you come out. So I've been something that's like beast-like. I have been um, just a ball of energy. Um, yeah. So those experiences also in the dream, dream work, because um, I love dream work. I'm also all for the psychological aspect of dream work as well. And in the in Gestalt approach, you are everything in the dream and you embody that and you speak through it. Um, and I feel like that has also allowed me to come out of myself and be, be everything in my dream. So all of those practices lead to um, not, a de- not an unhealthy detachment of who I am, but like an expansion of an encompassing a holistic way of viewing myself and also getting out of my head and um, my, my point of perception and the ego is not, you know, the ego can't tie you down at that point. <laughs> yeah. It's not the end all and be all, you know, the ego is just this little tiny thing in a much bigger system. I mean, I, I like to drop this statistic um, from neuroscience. I mean, if, if anybody out there is listening to this and going, I don't know, man, you know, this is kind of far out. <laughs> I understand, first of all, because we're trained to think that way, but let's go back to neuroscience and, it, and it's finding that we are anywhere from 95 to 99% unconscious in our mind. The conscious portion, which is basically the ego portion, uh, the ego awareness, this is a little tiny corner of the mind. This is accepted science. And the it's just who do you ask? is which percentage? Is it 95%? Okay, so now you've got 5% of the mind is conscious, basically the ego awareness that is you, or is it 99%? Well, guess what? Your little corner just shrank a whole bunch. I've heard other researchers say it's 99.99. So now your little corner is tiny. And the mind, what is you? The conscious and unconscious side combined is so much vaster than what your little ego is aware of. So humbling seems to be a part of this initiation. And what you've described here is like in that lucid dream when you encountered the ocean and it wouldn't change for you, it wouldn't dance to your tune, you had a humbling experience and that's what allowed you to then experience the divine because in the dream, you had those dolphins giving you this experience of divinity. And then that has led you into what we're going to get into during this, we'll just call this the second half of the interview, where you're going to talk about some of the things that have happened since then. And as a segue into that, I'd like to circle back also to you learned how to stay awake in your mind as your body fell asleep and experienced the formation of dreaming which led you into lucidity, which led you into out-of-body experience and astral experiences. So if anybody out there would like to follow in your footsteps, Jenny, would you say that this is a foundational skill to learn? Yeah, because it forces you to uh, sharpen your awareness and transitioning. Uh, I don't think people highlight transitions enough. Um, 
So, yeah, I think uh, my fixation on transitions gave me this ability, this uh, better ability to do what I do. This is, I have tried it and it is the hardest thing because it as is. soon as my mind starts getting, my body starts to fall asleep and it hits my brain with the sleep hormones. So I get the physical sensation of falling asleep and that's the sleep hormones start just, it's like a wet blanket being tossed over my consciousness staying awake through that process is I have, I haven't been able to do it, but I can't say that I've like practiced it every night with the same sort of determination that you did. Um, so I was, I wasn't a very, um, um, social in school. So I would come home and I would lay down and if I couldn't do it myself, I would listen to, uh, I bought a CD with that said brainwave entrainment um, all it did was just uh, train you into the different, um, you know, alpha waves and stuff. And um, I think that helped a lot because it helped me not fall asleep because there was a voice saying and there were sounds of the ocean and there was things like that. So um, I, I recommend that for people who who fall asleep quickly. But you know what? There, these were this was like. This, these were two, two and a half years of doing this twice a day for hours to the point where my heartbeat was slowed. My mom would come in and she would literally think I died. She was like, you're freaking me out. Stop doing this. You just come home and you don't even sleep. You lay there like a vampire on a bed. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you should be out playing with your friends, you know, and you're like, I'm yeah. there. and I would be like, mom, leave my room because she would try to interrupt. And I didn't want to come out of that state. So it was a weird fixation. <laughs> wow. Um, the uh, brainwave entrainment that you referred to just for listeners benefit, um, this, what I know of, there's a lot of them out there these days, but it began with the Hemisync series from, um, it's called the gateway series and the technology is called Hemisync. And this was invented or it was the technology existed, but Bob Monroe, again, journeys out of body, um, was experimenting with the binaural beats this way it's binaural beats are the basis of brainwave entrainment because it plays a frequency in one ear you're wearing headphones and you have a frequency in one ear and then a slightly different frequency in another ear and what your brain does is it splits the difference so if it's a hundred freak a hundred and one you know if it's a hundred in one ear and it's 106 in the other ear your brain waves will now go to six hertz as their brainwave frequency and so what you can do is basically entrain the brain to go into frequencies that are associated with different states of consciousness. So there's like wide awake state of consciousness, high frequency. There's very deep, slow states of consciousness associated with out of body. Those are between four and seven hertz. Um, states associated with creativity are a little higher than that. Meditation, stuff like that. So um, you can find these online. Um, the um, Monroe Institute has a YouTube channel and they share some of this. And then, of course, you can buy them and people share them freely on the Internet, too. Um, so just to let everybody know, if they want to get their hands on some brainwave entrainment stuff that you used, apparently you found this stuff long before it was readily available. I don't know where you got your hands on those tapes, but you know. I don't know. I don't know either. I think I would look into, I, there wasn't, I didn't have internet until my twenties. So I have no idea. It must've been like a, 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 a magazine 
ad that I emailed, not even email that I mailed yes. <laughs> or or called, and they sent me the CD because there was there was no other way. I had no computer, no phone. There was no cell phone. You know, this sounds <laughs> this sounds like it was meant to happen. You got your hands on a tool for exploring consciousness that was only available to a very small segment. Most people didn't even know that this stuff existed. Bob Monroe's... It may, have, it may have been a cassette. Like, I'm even thinking, like, was it even a CD? Originally, Bob made tapes off of the mixing board. Bob was... He owned a bunch of radio stations, and he got into radio as a sound guy. And then he started owning radio stations. He bought a bunch of radio stations, and they produced all these programs and stuff. So he got into it from that side of things. And what he used to do, he used he had a like a full recording studio. And what he used to do was record people as he was taking them into these out-of-body experiences. He would basically start the record button on the tape on a cassette. And then these tapes would make the rounds among people before the stuff was even being sold. The cassettes that Bob recorded in these live sessions would make the rounds among people who were consciousness explorers. So you somehow got your hands on one of these cassettes. Um, which would have been well, it, it, was, it wasn't Robert Monroe, but it was somebody else's. I, re- I remember it was not Robert Monroe, but somebody, I guess it could have been his student, maybe from that school. Um, but either way, it wasn't it, it was it was I don't know. It was it was mainly like weird ocean sounds and the, the vocal uh, the vocal effects would change to sound more far away, yes. far away, more like compressed. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, Bob does that as a way of, um, he does all these, like he'll change the channels from left to right and like left ear to right ear to left ear to right ear. And so it's synchronizing the hemispheres of the brain. And then his voice will change like in the way that like it starts sounding like it's far away. And what it does is it entices your consciousness to follow out of your body to just become this point of awareness. He actually teaches you how to be able to move in the astral without needing a body. So we were like talking about flapping our arms and stuff like that. You know, people get lucid and they think they need to fly like a bird. Bob would teach you how to do this, like to disconnect from the idea that you had to have a body and and that the rules of the astral or the lucid state were, you didn't have to follow the rules of the waking world. You could leave all that stuff behind and just be a point of awareness going through the cosmos. And the... um, so he would use these audio effects and stuff like that to help you to move around just as a point of awareness. So this is fascinating um, that you found this. I just broke it out last night for the first time in a while, and I did one of the hemisync exercises. So it's pretty interesting that we talk about this today. Um, Jenny, this leads us into the dream where you started having some um, guides that started coming to you um, and... Um, kind of taking you into the next levels of experience. And one of the dreams you talked about, the evaluators and the reminder. Um, Will you tell us about that dream? Well, during that dream, I was pregnant. Um, But I had already had these dreams for for years. But this one um, stuck out to me because I was actually, um, while pregnant, um, I became a different person because you're suddenly responsible, you become more human, I guess, in a way. And I I fell off the wagon in a lot of my consciousness states. Usually every day before I was pregnant, I was in schools and universities inside my dreams and astral experiences. I was going through, I was always going through a lot of training, 
was always being guided. So I wasn't anymore. I was having experiences with my baby coming out of its body too, but I wasn't having, um, I wasn't going to school. And I felt like when the evaluators came, they were evaluating my remembrance and how I was dropping consciousness and it was going up and down, up and down. It was not stable. And I felt like um, I needed to tell them why, but they continued to evaluate me anyway. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the guides in my dreams are a little different from the guides in my astral. Uh, either way, I've always been guided. It's just they've always been there. They've always been a little pushy and they've always, you know, uh, made sure that I have a lot of tests and hurdles to go through, you know, it's not, it's not been, it's not been, uh, easy. There's a lot of exams. Um, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> I think this is going to require some explaining, um, because if people out there listening, they go tests, exams, what are we talking about here? Yeah. There seems to be, and Jenny, you're, um, one of many people who I've heard at they've, related similar experiences of going in their dreams to sort of a cosmic university. Sometimes these are grand places. I mean, it makes Hogwarts look like a broom closet. Um, grand places of, you know, learning uh, magical places that seem to shape and shift in a way that accommodates the, per the people who are there. Not only are you there, but there are teachers there and there are other students there. And this was something that I've heard from someone on a program. Um, she was describing her experience of going to this university night after night in a classroom. She met a man who was another student who was there and they realized they were dreaming. And she said, are you a human being? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you are too. You know, and they started striking up a conversation and she's like, well, where do you live? And he's like, well, I'm an attorney in such and such place in California. When she woke up, she remembered and she looked him up and it turned out he was a person who existed as an, he, he was an attorney who lived in that place in California. So just to give people background, um, that when you describe this place of learning in this sort of cosmic university, this is a place that you went to night after night. And what were they teaching you? Well, I can remember the ones that I'm allowed to remember because there are those that you know as you're entering um, or flying into, um, you can lose consciousness because you're not supposed to know, know that yet in your physical. So the ones that, that disappear as I go into the dorms, let's say, um, or, into the, or as I'm walking into the classroom, I, I can tell I'm walking into this portal and I always hope that... I remember, but sometimes that's where my consciousness ends. Sometimes I do go in and I realize why sometimes I don't remember because I've, I've, I've had a lot of hiccups where in a classroom, let's say there's a person you don't like that did something really bad to you, but, and then my normal persona reacts and um, I was called out for shaming a person in the classroom and um the big lesson was uh, they're they're not who they are in their physical self. Like you can't judge a soul. So there, uh, you are encountering people in these places that you knew in your physical mm -hmm. life. Yeah, 
Yeah. And you had done something like said something nasty to them or shamed them or something like that. Like get out of here. I don't want to see you. Yeah. And then you encounter them in this place while you're dreaming, but it's in a deeper level of dreaming where you seem to be in what you might call an etheric place, a place that exists more than just as a dream construct. These are places that you go to while you're dreaming that other dreamers can go to and have experiences too. And with not just humans, right? I mean, I've heard other people say that they encountered other types of things there. Those are other, yeah, I've had cosmic ones versions of this. Um, Some exams take place like what looks like out in the cosmos, but this one um, I was taken out back into the council and I was uh, reprimanded. So basically I wasn't allowed to access certain things after that for a long, long time, <laughs> probably two years until I learned how to treat that realm differently. And um, my husband plays a big role in me actually going up to people and asking them because uh, People coming to my dreams and saying things and explaining things and um, people's shadows coming to me for integration with their physical self started happening. And I never went up to people, but he was like, you should ask, because how will you know if it's true or not? So I began doing that and people started to say, how did you know? And it freaked them out. So I, I learned to do it differently. I learned to go up to them and not say anything rather befriend them and then um, as skeptic as they were after it it could take a year or two or three or four sometimes it took me like a decade of knowing someone for them to finally come around and and get used to my persona Um, it's a long game and it's it requires patience so you're talking your persona in the dream place no, people in waking people in my dream come people from waking reality as they're dreaming visit me a lot. So it could be like you in your dream. You think you dreamt that you came to or you, you don't have any memory of it, but you told me something very specific. I mean, we're talking specifics here. And um I don't I don't know you that well. Let's say I'm just giving an example. So I don't know how to tell you you told me something about, I don't know, your spouse or or your mom, you know, it's very, very personal. And so I don't feel like I can just be like, hey, you told me this. Uh, it never went well. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, I, I, so I learned to befriend the person knowing this information and then eventually making hints at them like, oh, I have this relationship with my spouse or I went through this with my mom and then they can relate and then I can start working with them on it. But um, on the integration, but everything happens without them knowing. Everything is like a a normal conversation. And I kind of get tired of that sometimes because uh, sometimes it takes years. Yeah. Okay. Especially if the person is a total skeptic. Well, let me um, give some. Okay. So first of all, um, you're reminding me of a dream I had last night. And I'm wondering if it was you who was a a woman in a a hotel. It was like a... Um, a place where we were in, it was like a restaurant hotel, but there were also, um, a lady showed up with a truck full of plants. Um, and she was, <laughs> I, okay. So I had, a, I, in that dream, I had a sense that I was talking to someone. I've been trying to figure out who that woman was in the dream. And I went to bed with an intention for me to get a download of anything that I needed for the interview today. Um, so allowing basically opening up the, 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 sub, the subconscious that things in the subconscious mind 
can access me if I will open up to them and I allow them to work through me, um, especially for things like what we're doing, because I wanted our interview to go well and for me to be able to bring information forward that might be able to help listeners out there. And there might be things that are brought up that are outside my scope of experience. So I want to be able to enter into this interview and honor it in a way so that I can open up to something larger that might be outside my scope of experience. Um, a lot of what we're talking about today is outside my scope of experience, but I'm aware of it. So I went to bed with the intention. I said, dreams, help me out here if I, when I'm talking to Jenny, if there's something I need to know, download it to me tonight and it'll come up somehow spontaneously during our interview. So um, you're you're talking about this and I'm going, oh my God, were you in my dream last night? Well, isn't that cool? Let's see. Um, <laughs> now here's... Um, I think that we need to give a little bit of background on this for people. Um, I do know other people who um, are, they've, they're so advanced in their dreaming that they have people who come to them for help with things. Um, my friend, Steve Rogat is a shamanic practitioner, master lucid dreamer. Um, he says that it happens to him quite often where people come to him in his dreams and they'll need healing and he'll go ahead and do it. They might be people he knows. They might be people he's never met before, but he knows what they are are other dreamers who are having an astral experience. He says most of the time they don't remember anything about it. Um, and They're just floating around thinking that they're dreaming, but they're actually astral projecting because you can see the bubble. You can see their dream bubble, what they think is a dream bubble. It's very funny. And so you can observe it because you're very conscious as this is happening. You're dreaming but you're at a higher level of awareness or in a deeper dimension of dreaming where you can be like, you know, I'm looking at you on this, um, on video screen and there's Jenny in this, wherever she is in a room in her home and this part of the world where she is. And, and in a way you're entering into the dream state with that same level of conscious awareness. So you could look at them and be like, Oh yeah, there's a dreamer. They're in their bubble. And I mean, living within your own bubble, isn't that a great metaphor because you're, yeah. You're you're creating an existence and then you're you're staying within your own little bubble of awareness, but you can see them. And so you do this work of helping them to it sounds like you specialize in helping them to integrate the dark side, the shadow side. You do a lot of shadow work with them. Yeah, but in, in the beginning I was immature. I would bur I would go into their bubble and be in their dream and then they'd be like, Oh, I dreamt about you. And I, I didn't tell them actually you were astral projecting and I was butting in but um no later on i let it come to me um and usually it's somebody i don't know too well which is annoying like a co-worker in another floor stuff like that and um i know that at that point i take all of that sacred in a sacred way and i make a connection with that person um as hard as it is as hard as it is um because they could be somebody you don't like in waking reality Ooh, so this is what you're learning in your in the dream university that you go to. And the exam sounds like it not only happens in the dream reality, but also in waking reality. Because oh, yeah. you're passing tests of when you said exams, I mean, I'm sure people are picturing like, you know, writing an essay or something like that. But when you say an exam, what we're really talking about is a test of character. Uh, no, uh, that is one of them, but um, it's also a test in holding awareness. So, for example, one exam I can 
Um, it, it was to uh, put your hand through a, a like I imagine if I was in an airplane and there was a wall, put your hand through the wall without losing um, uh, without losing the um, the form of the hand. Uh, on one side and then the other side it was very strange but it's a very it was a very alchemical exam and I you only feel it when you're there that that's an exam it's the weirdest thing it just you don't know it's an exam until the exam is about to finish or until you're in it and then you're like oh shit this was an exam Uh So it's not like I willingly knew that I was being tested. And I that's why I take every dream carefully, because sometimes it's an exam and sometimes it's, it's a final exam. So, And you're the test taker. So who is the test maker? Who who is well? Who, who is giving you these exams? Jenny, this gets us into the, some of the evaluators and the dream council I want to make sure that we get into this um, because you, this the, the nature of what you're experiencing, there is something creating these exams. It comes to you as personified form. You've met all of these fantastic, we'll call them people, but they're in this astral dream experience. Who is giving the exam? Sometimes you can't see who it's. It's like a a voice or a presence that is invisible, but it's there. You can feel it. And it's just, you you know, through knowledge. I guess it's touching your knowledge rather than touching your, your eyes um, vision. So uh, in the case of exams, obviously they're not there because you're not supposed to know it's an exam. <laughs> the other things, when I'm being evaluated, I just know that something it's just a cyclical thing it happens all the time and i need to um yeah i don't know um but all of that is linked with the schools definitely they all go hand in hand and then waking reality happens where i'm faced with similar circumstances and you said that this was one of your ways of being able to evaluate whether the dream you would have one of these dreams and then you could evaluate whether it was, say, a more personal unconscious dream or if you're in more of a collective unconscious dream, because you would have these follow-up experiences in your waking life that connected to the dreams. So now you're experiencing synchronicities, and that told that led you to believe that what you were experiencing in those dreams was something that was coming from a larger place than just what people typically think of as happening in their dreams. Their mind is producing an experience. Sometimes it can be a fantastic experience. It can be an archetypal experience, but it is still generated internally um, and doesn't necessarily reach beyond the individual in its scope. But you're having these collective unconscious dreams where you're actually in a place where uh, the the physical world, people in the world, and events that happen are connected to your dreams. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, well, I believe that, you know, shadow work is the basis of everything that I do. Um, shadow work to me means that there's more to us than we know. 
and the unknown is a part of our self, um, unknown aspects. So these dreams um, that happened for me made me realize that there's a big uh, fragmentation that happened on this planet to the point where it's planet, it's, it's the whole planet. It's like everybody in the planet has has fragmented to the point where they've forgotten a lot of their themselves. And I feel like as soon as I came to this awareness, I started to get the visits. And um, not only from people from the afterlife, which happens, but mainly it started to happen with other people, other dreamers. And it was aspects that they wanted. It was almost like they were saying, tell my physical persona this. Um, and it was very bizarre because I didn't know much about integration back then. So this is me trying to be like, hey, I had a dream about you, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, and then when I learned, no, this is shadow work. You can't just tell them that they need to process it, be okay with it, get to know it, like converse with it. it it's just so much more complicated. Yeah, you'll blow a fuse if you um, try to take on this information, uh, the reality behind the information. If you try to just jump right into this stuff, you can really just blow your own mind. Um, and yeah, and I've known people who tried it or they used psychedelics to try to short circuit the process and they short circuited their own minds. Um, oh yeah. So you were able to go through this. It sounds like Jenny, we're talking about a process from young Jenny with her mom experiencing precognition opens her up to a new reality. She starts experiencing that reality soon after by nine years old, you're already having, you know, you've already been through past life dreams, out of body dreams, lucid dreams. Then you get into a teenager. You've become quite the dream master. You can create entire worlds in your dreams. And then you have the humbling experience of realizing that there is a divine force behind all of this now we get into Jenny in her 20s who realizes she's got these greater abilities to be able to see people. Your awareness of dreaming has built to a point where you can see other people in the dream state kind of trapped in their own bubbles. Um, and you're going in and trying to sort of wake them up. But you learn that, well, that doesn't work because they need to do this in their own time. And if I try to short circuit the process, then you're going to encounter a lot of resistance. So you developed your character, you passed these tests to be able to become a greater dream worker in the sense that now your awareness has reached a point and your learning and wisdom has reached a point that you know how to kind of guide them into the process to reveal little bits and pieces of information where their own minds start to open to this greater reality that you've you know, you've been swimming in that water for years, you know, then they're sitting there going, well, I don't know if this is real or not. This sounds like a hallucination <laughs> to me. I, I think you're pulling my, and then, you know, like, well, no, actually I've been experiencing this for all of my life. And this is the greater reality that I'm now, you've become sort of a mentor for other people into becoming the greater person that they are in pulling together the fragmented parts of their greater being. This is something I also know from Robert Moss um, that he does in shamanic journeying to retrieve, they call it soul retrieval, and it's retrieving mm. the fragmented parts of ourselves. 
But now you're experiencing this at the collective level because you're seeing that the entire planet itself and humanity itself has become so fragmented that we've lost touch with what we really are as spiritual beings, which is what Edgar Cayce diagnosed us with when in his clairvoyant states where he would go into, you know, into this astral or clairvoyant state where he was able to pull up all this fantastic information he said that humanity had lost its way because we had embedded ourselves so far down into physical existence that we forgot our origins as spiritual beings. And now we're in our own little bubbles and we can't find our way out. And eventually what humanity's goal is to reach the point where we take off, off that cliff edge again. Like in that dream you describe where the bubble is, you come to the edge of the cliff and you leave physical reality behind this is the home that we came from is that place that journey out into the cosmos that's where our home is so jenny is this jiving with you yeah okay because this is jiving with me and you're showing you're (laughs) showing me you're pulling together your experience is pulling together a lot of bits and pieces of information that i've gathered over the years um you've had this you've referred to this council of dreamers to evaluate you, who in the heck are these people, or what are, okay. they, are they people at all? They look. They they act like um, they act like people. Um, my the beginning stages of of these uh, started with individual teachers, and then they progressed to more more groups. But um, when I was astral projecting as a, as a in my twenties. Um, I was being pulled out by a female teacher that was very strict with me. So she wouldn't let me take a night off. Pulled out of your, uh, when you say pulled out. Yeah. Pulled out of your body. Like, by, like, like by the ear almost. Like, listen, Missy, you're doing this. And my astral ear would be pulled out of my body. And she would, uh, she would say, this is what we're doing today. You're learning to... Uh, see who who needs to be passed on or clean space clear this clear that and I learned to do it I was very diligent and it's something that I can the only time I can just step out of my body like like um you know you just get out of your body by stepping out of it is when there's a lot of activity and I need to clear it and I feel like this is just permission they give me I don't I don't know how to do that otherwise. So activity you could say is like things that are inter ghosts. Things that are interfering energetic, you know. So when when you're you're referring to a reality that most people don't understand. So let me kind of fill in maybe a little for the listeners who are lost right now, is you're seeing people as an energy body and that they are they are existing inside of a universe where there is a lot of things going on outside of the physical realm you can perceive these things and you know that there are beings and patterns of energy and other things like that that can be in a person's space like it gets into their bubble and now it is influencing their thoughts and their feelings 
but from a deeply unconscious place that a, the person isn't aware of. So you have now taken up this job of kind of healing, clearing space and helping them to heal. Is that right? Yeah. So when, let's say somebody comes over and they're like a heavy smoker, let's say, um, they'll have attachments. These attachments, people get scared. Uh, they look like party frat boys sometimes. It's not it's not anything scary. It's just an entity that wants that energy. It's like it's like you're a smoothie all of a sudden, you know, and they have straws. <laughs> and I can't get rid of this person, <laughs> but I can tell them to get out of my house and they wait for their person once that person leaves. So I have the ability because they bother me too, you know, at night when I'm sleeping. I can't see them when, with my eyes open, but once I'm about to fall asleep, they start bothering me. And that's when I'm like, all right. And that's when I can step out of my body like not, nobody's business. <laughs> to go. And... But also I can, I can cross people. Like I can see when it's, it's a ghost that needs to, that doesn't know it's dead. I just know. And I know how to cross them over. Of course, sometimes they get angry and they don't want to. But um, yeah. Okay. So um, the addictions that people have create an energy pattern that is attractive to people who have died of those addictions and are in um, a state kind of between existences. They exist as an energy being. They're still attached to the earth. Bob Monroe said he saw billions of them on the outskirts of the earth. They're people who've, they're having a complete mental existence that's still tied to the earthly life that they left behind. Some of these people don't realize that they've actually died. They just continue doing, you know, they just kind of carry on. And it's often with people who've had addictions, like you mentioned, smoking. If they still have the craving for nicotine, for smoking, it will carry over into the next life or the next existence of life. And they will be attracted to people who are still in the physical who have that addiction. We've seen it with alcohol, heavy drugs like heroin, um, cocaine, the sex, food, and they get to attach to you so that they can have another hit. Like you say, they, they have a straw and you're the smoothie, which I thought was just a beautiful analogy because what they're doing is they're sucking that energy off of you so they can get a little hit. You know, they get a little high. You're experiencing a high and they're experiencing it vicariously along with you, which can be why people sometimes can't break their addictions because now they've attracted these other beings that are using them as their supply. Is that a fair to say what you're experiencing? Yeah. And, and for me, my sleep is very important because of my dream life. Every dream for me is important. So if something is interrupting it, it's going to, it needs to leave my house ASAP. And, and I also help, I try to help the person. I mean, I did help in that one experience with a smoker. She doesn't smoke anymore. That we, we, she thank every year on her no smoking anniversary. She, she, she gives me a shout out. I, uh, you know, my, I found out my, my father's a very heavy smoker and he, he's been chain smoking. And I realized that he had moved into an apartment where a man had died. And guess how he died? He was a chain smoker. And it made me realize oh that he might be um, up against something that is keeping him uh, trapped in his addiction. 
because energetically oh, wow. it's still feeding off of him. So Jenny, you're saying that when you're in this, um, you can perceive these things that are uh, trying to, we'll just call them energetic beings, spiritual. They could be, you could call some people call them spirits. Some people call them astral, but they are these sort of um, fragmented forms of life that are attached to human beings and especially can enter into their dream states. Um, but mm. it's also with them in their waking state and can be the source of cravings and addictions and patterns of thought, feeling and behavior that are unwanted or unwelcome. But because you've definitely, you've kind of overcome this in your own personal way so that you can now um, help others. And well, go ahead. Smoking, if done intentionally, if you want to call spirits, you should puff on a like you could puff on a on a cigarette cigar or cigarette, and but know that you're doing that for that reason. Um, I know that Nick uh, tobacco is used for like um, Native American ceremonies, and uh, there's a purpose to to it. But I guess if you do something like in an addictive way, it's a little different. Um, I think everything in balance is okay, but I know some people can't. Like, if my husband smokes, he'll fall off. He'll start smoking again, so he needs to really watch himself. Yes. <laughs> Whereas I can have a cigarette once every four or five months, and I'm fine. I don't need a pack. I'll have that one, and I'll enjoy it, and I'm done. I don't, you know, it's it's a very different. Um, I think... Um, Addiction is, is very unique to each person and stuff. So I always test. I like to test my shadows. So I do weird. I do certain things that will be like, will I fall into my shadow if I do this? And then I don't. And I'm like, I, can I keep my awareness if I do this? You know, um, if I'm alone and I do this and and I, I don't know why I do these things. But um, yeah, because you've been taught to. Because the teachers in the dream and the astral said you can't have these attachments if you want to, if you want to be the psychonaut and you want to be what sounds to me like a healer of humanity. If you want to, if you want to live this role, then you can't have these attachments to things. If you have an addiction, this will be a way that they will find you and sidetrack you. The fragmented beings that are out there, there's a whole universe full of these fragmented beings that are, um, because they're not in a whole state, they make sport of, of, of keeping others from getting into their whole state. So the way that you overcome this is by, you know, if, you, if, if there's something that's addictive, you need to give it up. If it's smoking or it's sex or it's masturbation or it's, eating something sweets you know uh basically if it becomes addictive then you have to give it up and otherwise mm. you can't be the conscious you'll attract things to you that will keep you down with them is that a way of you know that old thing like mama used to say you know if you run with the dogs you'll get fleas you know that's something i heard from my mom which was if you have like bad influences and bad friends it'll rub off on you and you'll be down there with them and they'll be happy to keep mm -hmm. you in that lower state of being with them is that something that you've experienced and is that true to your knowledge well i i'm a very um light and dark person so 
I try to give space for my darkness so that it doesn't overpower me. So um, I, it, it's a very tricky situation when a shadow that is a little bit darker, that's also you, um, needs space with you. Um, and you don't want to like shut him or her out but you also don't want it to take over and overpower you. So it, it takes a lot of uh, different levels of, of shadow work, dialoguing and all these kinds of things to be able to hold the darkness and therefore you transmute it. And you, you're not trying to change it. That's the whole point of the darkness that you don't want to force anything upon them because the darkness hates that. And the only way to transmute it is to actually non-judgmentally be with it, know that it's also you. But at the same time, you are um, more than than both light and shadow. So um, I, it's very hard to put into words, but a lot of that work goes into it where I, I, I descend into my darkness. Uh, I let it be with me. I feel the feelings that, you know basic i don't know what else to call it uh, beastly almost uh, i can primal. be with it primal primal and um at the same time it's delicious and hmm. i understand why people go into it but at the same time i appreciate the energy it gives me it gives me a boost it gives me like a thank you in a weird way and uh, i can control the edge you know you can walk away when you know, it's not done. control i can walk in the edge and i can i i understand that I, I it's my choice to dive in or out and um yeah it's it's very it, people get scared when they hear darkness and shadow but guess what we're in this planet where it's it's very polarized lots of things happen uh, we still have murderers. We still have, you know, there's still so many things that people consider darkness. And if we don't take responsibility um, for everything that happens in a weird, not in a way where it's like, oh, you're responsible, but in a way where uh, as a dreamer, I, I feel like everything mirrors something internally. So, yeah, I like to think that if a person can go through this process, they can venture um, into the world without going to extremes you know but it takes a lot of consciousness a lot of balancing a lot of this and that you know it, it's a lot of work and a lot of people pinball back and forth between the light and the dark and um, without fully embracing either one of them and so they can't integrate it into themselves as a conscious being which is really the point of consciousness as a human being is to be able to expand yourself to be able to uh, assimilate the dark parts of yourself to and dark just means unknown and mysterious. We don't necessarily mean like evil, but you know, you could have an impulse. Like people feel ashamed when they have a dream where they like murder someone or, you know, stomp a puppy yeah. or something like that. And you go, or incest, right? Like, yeah. And they, they feel ashamed like they, of it. A lot of people have sex with their parents or their sibling or their cousin it's very weird like sex and dreams i realize is not sex and dreams it's very it, it's a whole other you know psychological and spiritual thing but um 
but yeah, it's it, it's pretty confusing, which is why I've made it I've made it my life's work to make this easier. Um, it's something that I'm working on right now to help people um, navigate this. Uh, it's hard to put into words right now because there's so much that I've done for it. Um, but yeah, it'll it'll be out at some point. I at some point. let's make sure at the end that we give people ways of reaching you because I have a feeling there's going to be people who are going to want to learn how to do the shadow integration. Which, by the way, Clarascura is uh, tell people the definition of that word. Uh, that name I made it legal, but it means light and shadow. Um, it it happened when I was completely in my love and light stage. <laughs> And I was about to launch my Divine One Healing website. <laughs> and then uh, right before I pressed launch, I decided to read. Uh, I opened a book, any book that came to mind. I opened a page and the page said, um, your prevailing characteristics is hidden. Your prevailing characteristic is hidden. You act on it without seeing that you're acting on it. And when I read that, um, I got furious. I got so pissed. I threw the book. I was like... <laughs> A sure sign that you're resisting something. Yes. <laughs> and then so it was like, how do... Like, are you telling me I don't know myself? Like, that my most prevailing characteristic is hidden? Like, it was just like, a, you did what? And uh, that's when my reality shattered. And I realized what had happened. My dark side had been shushed. Shoved into the unconscious and... Um, who is this divine one healing? Like I was just, you know, it was just like, what the fuck? Even my, my photo that I had taken everything. Suddenly I was like, this is not me. This is not me. Yeah. And then, um, I renamed myself to Clara score, Jennifer Clara score to never forget. Um, strangely enough at that point, you would think that life had given me many messages and it had, I had two part-time jobs and two women bosses. One was Jennifer light and the other one was Rain Shadow. Oh, wow. The Rain Shadow one was from a Buddhist place, and the Jennifer Light was a very, like, a technical person. But it was, um, it was funny that you would think that that would have given me a clue, and I had no clue. I'd worked with them for, like, a year, and I had no clue. Wow. That what was coming. <laughs> you know, um, Carl Jung uh, was known as something of a rascal um, because he, he was acknowledging that there was this other side of himself and of life and of life that came out of a dark place, but it was also dark and like, um, like sarcasm can be funny, mm. but it's a dark humor. And w the more that we try to reject or push out this shadowy side of life and just embrace the light the more that the shadow actually gains power and wants expression. And he said that by doing these, every once in a while, he said that it's good for people to sort of vent their spleen, meaning just, you know, have a kind of a Dionysian, you know, orgy of wine and, you know, sex and, and cursing and, it's a way he said that we need to sort of vent the stuff out of us to honor the dark side as a side of life. And mm. he came up with it. If anybody's interested in this, I suggest they look up the seven sermons of the dead and his concept of Abraxas. Abraxas is the Godhead that assimilates both God and the devil. 
um, in the sense of sort of um, in the mythological senses. But he's 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 approaches. He says that Abraxas is actually probably truer to what an actual god is. That God isn't just the the holy guy up on the mountain who's all you know sunshine and rainbows. That there's another side of God that expresses itself through human beings that is, shall we say, unrepentant and quite the sinner, um, very devilish. So um, if anybody wants to dig deeper into that, I would like them to just suggest that they look up the seven sermons of the dead, because it talks a lot about honoring the dark side without necessarily having it consume or take over you. Um, yeah, I, I think that's why the devil in my experiences um, doesn't it doesn't scare me anymore the way it used to. It used to come and try to like spook me out. And um, now when it's trying to... <laughs> to have me like, I guess, sell my soul or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's a little more intellectual. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a slideshow. Like he's really trying to get me in. Like, it's different. Like we got, whenever I see demons too, they look at me and they have no interest. They're just like, oh, like, um, they could be huge and disgusting and they have horns and I'm, and they don't care about me. Uh, I don't care about them. They don't care about me. We have like spoken in a passing uh, but when I was younger, it was attack. You know, it was like, uh, it was different, like in the astral or sleep paralysis. It was always like, ah, I'm afraid and something is trying to get me. Whereas now it's like, like, okay, you look kind of cute. Please leave. <laughs> or they'll, or in my last sleep paralysis, uh, also one of them, a whole family of demons came to my door and I, I had just moved and I was like, I can't see you guys right now but next time let's talk so th these are now my experiences with like what people would call like evil or demons or whatever catholic chip you know uh, does yeah um <laughs> but all of that all of that has changed like before there was torture and sexual molestation you know like they try to get at you and now it's not like that at all so what you're do you think what you're seeing are basically beings themselves that are fragmented and seeking their own wholeness, but they've gone a different path? I think that the energies, obviously everything is energy and the energy of this planet in dispelling darkness and what religion has done to segregate light and darkness, God and devil, all of that has created um, these energy beings. But um, that's why uh, shadow work is very important because uh, they are us as much as and i don't even want to say they it's like it's it's still me it's still us it's still a part of this world and this universe so um figuring out what that is why that is not judging it but being with it being able to live with it and as it's a lot of inner work that i do with that it's a big part of because it's hard because you're you're talking about people you know energies that cause very horrible things a person would just be like, no, that's, a, that's Satan, you know, or that, that is inexplicably evil. I, I can't use those words. For me, it's, it's a very different yeah. thing. Yeah. Probably taboo. I don't know. Well, you're speaking from a place that most people don't understand. Um, the, what I've, I, I think that our original mistake was um, uh, separating, you know, the, the knowledge, fruit of the knowledge of good and evil it made us as human beings start to label things as good and as evil. 
And so then we started dividing what was a natural, undivided world, sort of the Garden of Eden as a metaphor for the undivided state. And then when the serpent comes in and convinces, you know, Eve to eat of the apple from the tree of, you know, the, it's the fruit of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. If you look at that as a metaphor, then what it's saying is, is that we as human beings started dividing the world and labeling things as good and bad, but it was all just part of the nature that was there. I mean, the Garden of Eden, the serpent was already there, you know, like it was part of the creation. And for us to say that the serpent was bad was then creating a label so that then we could reject it. So that divided, yeah. that created the fragments. Those were creating fragments within the human experience where parts of us got rejected. And that those parts, when they are out in the cold long enough, start to get really freaking mad and working against us. They're like, well, human, if you think that you're so high and mighty, let me show you that there's a whole nother side of things that you don't acknowledge. And therefore, you don't have any power against it. You know, the... But, but that's but that's the agenda too because that's what the let's say the devil in my dreams what what he what it wanted was for me to um, push that uh, light and shadow as separate um, heaven and hell concept very important that heaven and hell exists for this planet to continue feeding some energies or something like that so uh, I said no obviously <laughs> but um, it's just funny that I don't know if those are like dreams or other kinds of experiences i i never under quite understand what those recurring devil dreams are except that they're always trying to strike a deal with me and it's always to um and he make he he shows me who who like authors musicians and then he erases my memory so he's like you won't remember who i just showed you i can only remember like some book covers um, I do remember one musician, but um, it's very interesting. I wake up kind of thinking like, is there something more to this devil guy? Oh, um, so he's saying these people have fame and fortune and they have embraced me. Pushed the, yeah. And so this is what they get in return. They get a great life, at least, you know, <laughs> until they find out when the bill comes due, um, you know, for um, having the fame and fortune is what I've heard yeah. is, is that there's always more to the deal than... Um, but it's what it's doing is it's sort of like if you've ever run across people who've been through trauma and abuse and then they pass on the trauma and abuse to like their children yeah. and their environment, what they're doing is continuing the fragmentation and the, the, and the divide. So for us believing in thing like a heaven and hell, the, they, they, there's a sort of a way of repeating that because our belief in it is perpetuating the sort of existence of it it never it doesn't really exist but in a way we are creating it because of our belief in it and if we if we go back in history we could go all the way back to zoroaster in the persian uh, about uh 3000 bc they came up with this concept or actually sorry um 1000 bc or so when this religion came in it divided the world into light and dark good and evil and that zoroaster in this in that religion the Persian religion influenced the formation of those Middle Eastern religions. So in other words, the Jewish religions um, con concept of, of good and bad, you know, God and the devil and all that that came out of the Old Testament is actually going further back in time to this divide that happened 
of Zoro, uh, the in the Zoroastrian religion, which was the first one that we know of to actually conceive of there being good and evil and dividing and mm-hmm. dividing the world that way. Um, so one of Oh, sorry, Jenny, I was just going to ask you: Are you then? Are you trying to heal that divide? I mean, you've recognized it for what it is. Is this part of your mission? It's part of it. Um, I've been through the school of light and shadow in astral and dreams. I graduated from it, and I could see the 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 school of masks was there. I don't. I wasn't a part of that, but I could see who was a part of the school of masks. Some people that I knew. So I understood that my interactions with them and waking reality had to be very conscious because um, people from the school of masks will come in and um, they're like a little grenade into your life, so to speak. So, um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. But um, one of those schools I, that I completed helped me catapult into words what I've been doing for a long time. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to put everything into words, really. And it's... I apologize. No, that's okay. And in almost two hours of conversation, um, it sounds like we've barely scratched the surface, but I think we need to... Um, <laughs> we need to um, go ahead and, and wrap up the interview. And what I'd like to do yeah. is, um, first, tell people how to find you. Well, I am on Instagram at Ancient Dreamers, Ancient underscore Dreamers. I'm also um, on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, Ancient Dreamers YouTube channel has um, meditations and um, affirmations and things that I do for people's. I, I'm a certified hypnotherapist, so I like to speak to people's subconscious, uh, find their power and things like that. Um I'm all, I also recorded a lot of astral projection and lucid dream guidance for uh, Lucid Power Mind, who is led by Frederick. Um, he and I collaborated a lot in his channel, and it took off. Like, um, if you go into the comments of each video, people have been having amazing experiences. So those recordings are really good. So when you say Frederick, um, give us a, what's the channel or how do the people find him and your association with him? So actually I added all his videos um, linked into my ancient dreamers, YouTube channel. So if they just go to ancient dreamers, YouTube channel, they can see a lucid power mind section and all his, it leads to his channel, obviously all the videos do. Um, but yeah, it, I, I did a good amount of collab with him. So, uh, if, if, if people like weird and, um, creative astral projection journeys, they'll find them there. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I want to give people, I just typed it in, youtube.com slash at Ancient Dreamers. And boom, right there is the first video, a quick two-minute affirmation, um, helping with lucidity. And then you go into the videos, and you have quite the extensive collection here of of uh, videos, uh, things that you're offering, lucid guide, you know, dream guides, lucid dreaming guides, Um and then under playlists, I bet, is where you'll find Frederick. Um, yeah, Lucid Power Mind. Okay. And we are, we are on Insight Timer. Uh, some of my meditations made it to Gaia. Um, 
Yeah, it was. Uh, it's it's been interesting. Frederick is 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 really moving his channels forward. So it, it was fun to collaborate. I don't collaborate with him anymore because uh, I don't have time to anymore. But I, he still collaborates with other people, and I connected him with a friend of mine too. Uh, yeah, he's a good guy. Well, it sounds you know you are offering something from the deeper dimensions of dreaming that's very rare. Um, the knowledge, the wisdom the walking the path for all these years, uh, exerting the sort of discipline and willpower that's necessary to get into these places. I just want to say, Jenny, I think it's remarkable. Um, oh, and I, I, I applaud you for it. Um, a lot of people who don't understand that these things exist, they haven't done the sort of um, Olympian discipline that it takes to be able to do it. You know, I like to say that they used to think that you couldn't do, like how many people in the world can do a backflip? You know, <laughs> you know, if you practice and practice and practice, you'll be able to do it too. You know, how many people can juggle five balls simultaneously? Hell, how many people can juggle three? You know, well, now you look over and you can see someone juggling 10. What you don't see is that that person, the years that they spent being able to, you know, to get all those fine movements going, this is the same way when it comes to meditative practices and dream practices. The years and years of practice and discipline leads you into places that few people even know exists. You can do things that few people know are even possible. But if you're, you're an example that if you stick to it, you keep doing the meditations, you fall, you know, keep yourself awake as you're falling asleep. You learn the disciplines of mind. You get access to resources like the binaural beats and, you know, the brainwave entrainment. And you listen to these things. You keep doing it, keep doing it. Eventually, you'll find yourself having experiences that are similar to what you've experienced and going to these places like, you know, the Galactic Dream University. Like, how awesome is that? You know, you get to go to a place and learn things from guides that are, you know, it's it's areas of knowledge that few people even know. They didn't even know that this knowledge is there to find out. They don't know that it's an aspect of of conscious reality that anybody can experience if they'll put in the time. And it sounds to me also, Jenny, like not just put in the time, but learn the lessons and become the person to be able to be the psychonaut. When you build that bubble around you to travel off into you know, the cosmos through your mind, you know, that bubble is you, right? It's everything that you are. Yeah. I mean, there, there's gateways of remembrance. Uh, there's layers. Just remember that if you say, I don't know, it doesn't mean you don't know. It just means you don't remember. And with that belief and, and, and shift in, in the way you say, I don't know, um, everything changes. Um, know that you are, you're granted access. There's cycles, there's access, there's doorways, there's levels, like not levels in like, oh my God, higher level, lower level. It's just peeling of that layers. Or dimensions is one of the things. Or dimensions. I've I've been using that term more than levels because levels gets people into that frame of mind. Like, well, level one, level two, level three. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't like that. Yeah. yeah. So instead we're looking, but yeah, there, it, it, it is different. And, um, there, there are many ways to, I studied hypnotherapy in order to help people go deep, but, um, 
it's it's something you can do on your own as well. You know? Can they? But just can they come to you? I no longer do one on ones. Okay. Um, I used to like ten years ago. I had a practice, but um, yeah, things got weird. No, I became a mom. And it takes, you, you know, when you're working on someone with hypnotherapy, I start having, like, they, they become a theme in my dream. And I start to, they come into my world. And that's fine. But I wasn't able to with two babies. Maybe I'd be able to now. Now I don't have that same thing. But I haven't dipped my toe. I'm more interested in finishing what, I'm, what I've started in regards to shadow work and the, the work of ancient dreamers well it's um I, I i wish you well in that endeavor um and mm -hmm. um i hope that people will come and find you on your youtube channel and <laughs> on you know instagram and other places you can find jennifer clarascura cl wait a minute you spell it for me real quick c-l-a-r-o-s-c-u-r-a -R -R okay and they can, uh, that's not, it's not hard to find once you, you know, put that into a search engine. Um, uh, Jenny has put out a lot of um, content out there and we hope that you'll continue. Yeah. And, and, and in my, in my YouTube channel, that's just Jennifer Claroscura. That's all the dream work, like me talking. Um, and in ancient dreamers, it's more of the recordings of, um, uh, of the meditations and the hypno journeys. Okay. So there's two, there's two different channels. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that all with us today. And like I said, I feel like we barely scratched the surface even after all that we've talked about, but it was a fascinating conversation. <laughs> um, and uh, I, yes. I, I hope that our listeners are going to be able to walk away with some things that they can put to use right now. And um, one of them I would say is always look for the guides who come into your dreams because these characters that come to you and offer you, they, they can offer wisdom, but understand sometimes that they're seeing things from a perspective that might be very different than your egos. And that resistance that you might feel towards them might actually be an indicator that there's something there that you really need to learn. It's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and puppies, mm -hmm. that there's a dark side to this, a shadow side to it, that's going to take you into the dark places within yourself for you to learn some of these harder lessons because your self-awareness, that awareness of yourself is the bubble that will take you off into these deeper dimensions of dreaming. So love and embrace everything, I think would be uh, the one of the lessons that we can take away from your experience. Is there anything else that you would like to add to that? Have a physical support system in your life, whether it's a, a wiser person that you go to for advice a therapist a meditation center don't do shadow work on your own i mean you can do shadow work but also have a have a grounding space somebody that knows you really well that would understand if something is off in your personality because obviously some people don't know when they're integrating and it comes with a it comes with a change of personality sometimes when they're just starting to come in like, hey, this is also me. And then you don't know mm. why, why you feel like you don't know who you are anymore. <laughs> when Steve and I were talking about getting ready for this interview, we talked about the people that we've known who dropped off the deep end. They get deep into the spiritual work. And um, next thing you know, they're going through, they're getting possessed by the archetype. You know, um, the, the it's, mm -hmm. whether it's a Messiah archetype, I've seen people who thought they were Jesus or on some kind of divinely led mission. And, you know, 
there might have been some kind of truth that the that the divine was trying to reach out and touch them but it blew a fuse in their mind they weren't able to integrate it into who they are in this physical existence and having somebody who can who can check you when you start getting too far out there i thank you for reminding us of that because it is very important and you can get yeah. lost in these places if you allow it to happen um so. which is why i don't just release what i'm doing until i have for sure a system and way which i am creating um in which this does not happen because it is even it even happens to me where i get over powered by a shadow sometimes and i have to allow it to go through the motions and i i i'm like sorry to my husband that has to witness when a shadow comes in and and i change for a little bit and i have to integrate it until i integrate it but it comes with energy after like the the it comes with grieving it comes with anger it comes with so many emotions and um uh, then once it's integrated um or coexisting with you it's beautiful because it comes with a amazing power and energy well uh, people will remember that lucifer was the light bringer <laughs> yeah on that note <laughs> stepley <laughs> <laughs> oh wow this is gonna be like misinterpreted uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. okay interview over hopefully uh <laughs> hopefully steve will come in and help bring some context to that um i love steve whenever i put once i posted something on ancient dreamers as something about darkness and steve he messaged me he was like um I can feel all the love and light people squirming yes. as they read your post. <laughs> <laughs> I do get messages of people being like, "You, you're talking about bringing demonic forces." I'm like, "No, not really." But <laughs> but their upbringing in that strict sort of Catholic or Southern Baptist or whatever it was, it doesn't allow them to have a larger point of view about things where everything is. Um, the light and the dark are two aspects of the same um it's just part of life and yeah. if you don't honor if yeah. you don't honor the dark and, and understand that it has its place in the scheme of things then it will um your what jung said is is that you're now giving it power of unconscious it can come out of the unconscious and now it can yeah. hit you with things that you wouldn't even know you don't understand where it's coming from but it's going to show you its power by hitting you you know from oh, out yeah. of the blue it's true. because they're so far one-sided with things yeah. that the other side comes in unconsciously and they find themselves doing things over. that they and it takes them over yeah to speak to what Jenny and Jason were just saying darkness can be a loaded word largely as they spoke to because of how polarized we've made life but if you can take my example of how I worked with the victim archetype in my personal story on the pod called If You Want to Come Into Your Power, if you don't wrestle with and work your way through that energy, and let's face it, victim energy is some of the most uncomfortable energy we have to deal with. If we don't do that work, it owns you simply because of the fact you're not facing it. So it comes out of you in perverse ways or ways that you don't even consciously want it to come out it just squeezes through the cracks because it's just screaming 
on the inside of your being. And like we discover in my story, the true beauty of the victim energy is that it is our reservoir for our greatest compassion. Because if we didn't have the experience of being a victim, if we didn't know what that felt like, how could we ever have compassion for someone else? So the victim energy is literally one of the most beautiful gifts that we as human beings possess. And yet we rage against that energy and that feeling of being disempowered so intensely. And so if you don't reconcile with your neglect of facing that energy, it runs your life without you knowing it. And you rage against yourself. And whether you believe that there are actual demons or not, or if you just experience it as emotional turmoil, I don't think it matters. What matters is how you relate to the energy and whether you relate to it at all. Because if we don't find some way of holding space for these carnal, more uncomfortable aspects of human being, then they own us. And like Jenny said, we miss out on integrating their blessing in a really healthy way that actually gives us power and sovereignty and a streak of wildness. So that's my two cents. I love shadow work. I'm a huge proponent of it. I've been doing it for over 10 years. It really has changed my life and helped me feel way more on top of who I am. This is, it's just so full of beauty. I just can't even, I can't give it praise enough. This concludes another episode of the Dreams That Shape Us podcast. We thank every single one of you for being here, for being with us, for showing up, for listening to these truly remarkable stories about how dreams have literally shaped people's lives. We truly appreciate you being here. We would love it if you could go and rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We have a whole handful of reviews that have all of a sudden cropped up. Very thankful for everybody who has been reviewing and rating this podcast. It truly helps. I can't say that enough. So if you value this podcast and you've been listening for a while, or maybe not even that long, uh, but you would like to give us a little bit of a boost in the algorithmic world, uh, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would really, really appreciate it. And if you want more information on Mr. J.M. DeBoard or myself, in the show notes is our one link to rule them all, Linktree link that has all of our offerings and everything within it. If you want to check out our amazing guest, like they talked about, you can find her YouTube channel under Ancient Dreamers or Jennifer Claire Oscura. We'll have those links in the show notes. I will also include her personal link tree in the show notes. So check out those links if you want more information on her. And we just want to give a big, handsome thank you to Jenny 
Oh man, so glad to have you on the show and to get to know you even deeper. This was so cool to hear your story. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody out there. We'll see you on the third Tuesday of next month. Until then, 99!